raw. Harmony in Hiding, a four-part series by Michael Paul Tomset, adapted from the book Hiding Horst, Memoirs of a Jewish Boy by Becky White. Produced by Raw Spoken, with help from Ross Alternative Works, now known as New Works at Ross Valley Players. After a harrowing train ride, Horst arrives exhausted at the home of Marguerite and Gerta. Marguerite opened the door to an overfurnished room. It had two or three of everything. You may sleep on the sofa. You are very kind. Thank you. Oh, no bother. We're just doing the Lord's work. Good night. I slept like a stone. When I woke up the next morning, I looked at my surroundings. My room seemed a bit dark and it was packed with furniture, but contained no bookcases and no books. I sat there. The house was quiet. All I could do was wait. I spent this time practicing piano. I sat in front of one of the many coffee tables and started to practice the fingering for Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 3. In the beginning, we ate three times a day from their small rations. Marguerite cooked and Gerda prayed. She prayed before meals, sometimes for half an hour. At any given time, Gerda would abruptly break into a mournful petition to God. Praise God. Praise baby Jesus. All I knew was they were sisters who never married, lived in a house with lots of furniture, and were both very religious. They visited no one. And except for a courier for an underground newspaper, no one visited them. By the summer, the underground newspaper reported that the Allies had assaulted and had established beachheads in Normandy on the northern coast of France. Gerda prayed. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise your holy name for the liberation soon to take place. Lord, bless the Russian offensive in the east. Bring peace to Holland and all of Europe. At that time, we believed we would be liberated within a few months. We were especially convinced of this on September 12, 1944, when the Americans crossed the border into southern Holland. The exiled Dutch government, housed in Britain, called for a railway strike within German-occupied Holland. Without railroads, the Germans could not transport men and supplies to resist the Allied invasion of Holland. The Dutch did strike again, but failed after a single day. It was reported that the Dutch would be punished for their disloyalty. Therefore, all food shipments into Dutch cities would cease. To ensure this, the Amsterdam and Rotterdam harbors were destroyed with explosives. very little to eat before, but now they've cut our rations. We'll certainly starve. During the following weeks, our rations were cut even further. We were getting noticeably thinner. After leaving for mass one morning, the women returned in about an hour. We waited for the trolley, but it never arrived. At the evening mass, we'll ask God to forgive us. 
It's the first time in 15 years that we've missed. The evening trolley never came either. About six weeks after the railway strike, the state-sanctioned radio news announced that the Dutch people have learned their lesson. Food shipments would resume. So, of course, we expected more food, but <laughs> no more food came. Holland was incapable of hauling the necessary food into the cities. Conditions soon became worse. One evening, I pulled the chain to the lamp only to remain in darkness. I unscrewed the bulb to inspect the filament. It appeared to be intact. I tried to switch on the overhead light. Nothing. Marguerite came in with a kerosene lamp. I don't know why they can't keep things working properly. But, but I suppose one night without electricity isn't so bad. After waiting three weeks for electricity, I heard Marguerite mutter. I don't know why, but we seem to have no gas in the stove. We had to cook our meager meals with a few pieces of coal. I hope they have the gas back on tomorrow. It was a harsh winter in Holland. Electricity and gas were not restored. Rations were cut even further. Oh Lord, we beseech you for mercy. Send warm winds to melt the frozen canals so the barges can bring food to Amsterdam. The women's rations were repeatedly cut. They took turns going out for them and would return with a few carrots and a turnip. Sometimes they would bring back nothing. When we burned the last of the coal, we began to eat our food raw. Save us, Father. Your children are starving. It's no use, Gerda. God doesn't hear you. That's blasphemy, Margaret. Then why has God hidden his face from us? We're just being tested. We must remain faithful during these evil days. Why would he test two old women? Our struggle to stay alive makes us strong. We must cling to life until the war ends. I'm hungry now. Whatever shall we do, Gerda? God helps those who help themselves. What are we going to do? Follow me. The two women took some spoons from the kitchen and went outside. I cautiously went to the window and peeked in between the drapes and watched the women on their knees, pecking at the dark frozen earth with wooden spoons. I thought they might be digging for worms. But when they returned, they brought handfuls of tulip bulbs. They went into the kitchen to scrub them. Shouldn't we cook them first? With what? Here, Horst, eat. A tulip is a bulb which resembles an onion, but tastes like a potato. Within a week, the backyard was cratered with small holes. The tulips were gone. We were hungry again. We were also very cold. The old women resorted to using their furniture for firewood. Each night, they would debate for a while before choosing a sacrificial piece of furniture. Although we were no longer freezing, we were slowly starving to death. In late December 1944, five months before the war in Europe was to end, 
the stranger in the brown hat, the same man who had brought me to this place, returned to take me to my next hiding place. I can't imagine how I was able to walk the two miles to my next place, but I did. Many thoughts were going through my mind. As I was walking, it occurred to me that I was now 15 years old. I was too exhausted to laugh, but it struck me funny that I forgot my own birthday. When we reached the stoop of the three-story house on the canal, I lost consciousness. When I woke up, I thought I was dreaming. You're awake. You slept all night and then all day. Papa? Hello, son. Good to see you. I can't believe it's you, Papa. We hugged each other tightly. I never wanted to let go. We've got to fatten you up. Papa. A pretty young woman entered the room. Horst, this is Hetty. Where are your manners, son? Hello. So, I finally get to meet the future Dr. Ferber I've heard so much about. I'll serve supper. Take your time. Very nice to meet you, Horst. Thank you. Thank you. I'll get your supper. I've been here since I left the Landerts. I've been in four places since then. When I learned that you were sick, Hetty agreed that you should come here. Supper time. That smells good. Thank you, Horst. Go ahead, eat. Mm. This bread tastes better than cake. And the soup, I've never had better. Well, don't worry, Horst. We eat every day. I have friends who sell black market food. And I make the bread. You have hidden talents, Papa. Here, son, eat my soup. We've got to put some meat back on your bones. Have you received mail from Mama? I haven't heard from your mother all winter. Go on, take the last of the bread. You need it. I'll make more. Gotta keep you sharp for your medical studies. I haven't heard from Mama for months either. Do you think something happened to her? I'd have heard from DeHogue if something were wrong. When you finish, we'll give you the grand tour. Thank you so much. That supper has made a new man out of me. But actually, I felt sick. I'd been without hot food for so long that the rich broth made my stomach hurt. Hetty guided me to a huge, impressively furnished room. Many paintings and artwork. My husband Edward is a doctor. Before he was drafted, we entertained and had big parties here. But the war has interrupted all of that. <sighs> Upstairs is my bedroom. On the top floor is the guest bedroom where you will sleep. That's a beautiful piano. You must not play it. I know. Sit, please, let's all sit. Tell us where you've been, son. I began by telling them about staying with Mr. and Mrs. DeHogue, about Dorche and what happened to her husband. I told them how I spent St. Nicholas Day in the closet and those horrifying nights that I had to flee just minutes ahead of the Gestapo, and about the drunk SS officer on the train. At least your life has not been totally dull. <laughs> it's getting late. Time for bed, horse. You can tell me the rest another time. Your room is at the top of the stairs. 
Thank you for letting me stay here. And thanks for the supper. Good night. I slowly went up the staircase and entered the dimly lit bedroom. As I got ready for bed, I thought, I, I hope Papa comes to bed soon. I was eager to tell him about Gerda and Marguerite, eating the tulip bulbs and burning furniture. It became nine o'clock, then ten o'clock, then eleven. <laughs> when I finally slept, I slept alone. The next morning, I didn't let my eyes meet his. Telling Mama was absolutely out of the question. After a few awkward days, we settled into a very predictable routine. I would leave them alone while they prepared the meals and I studied in my room. After my assignments, I would practice piano at my desk. We were lucky enough to be able to listen to the BBC News. Hetty had a crystal radio and Papa would put on earphones and repeat the war news to us. Since D-Day, the Dutch resistance has grown bolder. Members of the Dutch resistance are assassinating Nazis and Dutch Nazi sympathizers. In retaliation, German countermeasures are becoming more brutal. For each Nazi killed, several Dutchmen are picked up and shot. Oh, dear Lord. I hope my family is well. I, I worry so. I miss Mama. She's out there somewhere. Do you know if she's safe? Don't worry, Horst. If something were wrong, DeHogue would tell me immediately. Immediately? Immediately? But we're in hiding. What if Mama was... What if the Nazis... Horst! Calm down, please. The noise. I remembered our current situation. We are Jews in hiding. We don't have the luxury of arguing. March came. We heard on the radio that Mussolini was dead. And the next day, we received even better news. Hitler committed suicide. We celebrated with a tin of meat. Let me in. Let me in. It's all right. It's just my neighbor. Stay here. Mrs. Vandeveld, what is it? The war has ended! <laughs> Germany has unconditionally surrendered! It will be official at midnight. Oh, thank goodness! Oh, we've waited years for this moment. Thank you, Mrs. Vandeveld. Feed your dog well tonight, yeah? The Germans have surrendered. The news was like a good dream. Hard to believe. As much as I was enjoying my regained freedom, I couldn't help but think of Grandpa Steinberg. I thought about how lucky I am to be alive. I got to have a bar mitzvah, become a man, and father children. 
1933, when most of my family had moved to Holland to escape the Nazis in Germany, Uncle Berthold, Mama's only sibling, moved his wife Lottie and daughter Marion to France. During the war, they were deported to Auschwitz. My beautiful cousin Marion, only one year younger than I, died in a gas chamber. So did my Uncle Berthold and Aunt Lottie. As much as that made me sad, I was equally overjoyed to see Grandma and Mama again. I feel truly blessed to have been alive. Aside from Mr. De Hoog, I have no idea of what became of the people who harbored me. I pray that they all survive to see another day, as I have. In the autumn, you will go back to school. After graduation, you'll go to medical school. Someday you'll make me proud. To my son, the doctor. To the future Dr. Ferber. But I don't want to become a doctor. This is my son talking? What are you saying? Of course you will be a doctor. It was decided even before you were born. No, Papa. I want to be a musician. While I was in the attic listening to Leah practice for a concert, I realized that my true happiness is in music. That's absurd. I play the piano. Do I play for a living? No, I sell bicycles. I support my family. If not for my hard-earned savings, we couldn't have survived this war. Playing the piano is not a real profession, Horst. A man makes music for amusement, not to support a family. But Papa, I- Enough! You've had only a few lessons from Mrs. Kowalski. She only taught you the major and minor scales, and that was years ago. Becoming an accomplished musician takes dedication, practice, and tremendous talent. I want to do something special with my life. I want to make music. Horst, your playing is amateurish. Always has been, always will be. I was fuming. I couldn't say what I wanted to say in that moment. It takes natural talent, Horst. You have none. You haven't even mastered the scales the last time I heard you. If you can't master the scales, you're far from ready to play, and too old now to ever become exceptional. You're wrong, Papa! Horst, get back here this instant. Shh. Please, quiet. Remember, we're still Jews in hiding. The war's end isn't official yet. I don't care, Papa. Just listen, please. Just listen. I had to show my Papa what I could do to show him what I had boiling up inside me for the past three years. Oh, it felt so good to finally lay my hands on real ivory keys to actually hear the sound of the music I was playing. I felt like Beethoven, miraculously cured of deafness. At that exact moment in time, no matter what occurred after, I was for the first time in control and the master of my universe. I'm sorry, Papa. I don't want to be a doctor. I know you don't. Of course you don't. You are a musician. We embraced. I was so, so happy. My life was beginning. It was beginning thanks to all my saviors who risked their lives for me. For me, God bless them all. 
They gave me my life. This concludes part four of Harmony and Hiding, starring Terence McGovern as Fred, Clark Schutz as Horst, Christine Lowry as Marguerite, Margot Beely as Gerta, Victor Schutz as Papa, Heather Shepherdson as Hetty, also starring Lynn Lewis as Neighbor, Richard Banghart as radio announcer, sound engineer, and designer, Bruce Vieira, sound effects and original music, Michael Paul Tomset, director. A special expression of gratitude to Ross Valley players of Ross, California and Marin County for allowing us to record at their facilities. And to Ross Alternative Works, now known as New Works at Ross Valley Players, and to the late James Dunn, who were instrumental in the early development of this play. Special thanks to Becky White for her support in working with the late Fred Ferber and writing her book, bringing this wonderful story to us. Thanks to the College of Marin Music and Drama Departments for their undying support to local theater and artistic groups in Marin County. And a very heartfelt thank you to the late and great Fred Ferber and his entire family. Thank you, Fred, for telling your story and thanks to the Ferber family for your blessing and support. Those who enjoyed this program will also enjoy Becky White's book, Hiding Horst, Memoirs of a Jewish Boy, which can be found at goodreads.com. Search by title. For those of you who may live in the area, visit the Ross Valley Players in Ross, California for good quality community theater. You can find them online at rossvalleyplayers.com. Raw.